that's good. Good morning. Uh, my name's Josh. I saw some of you guys up here earlier, but uh, it's good to be here, isn't it? It's a good day. It's a good Sunday. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be uh, Ephesians 6. I've got, got about 30 minutes today, and I've never successfully preached in 30 minutes, so we've got we to gotta get moving here. Uh, we're going to be jumping around a bit, so you might want to grab just a, a note card to take some notes on this. We've got a lot of scripture here. It'll probably help later in your community groups for some of the discussion that's going on. So let's, let's jump into it. Let's pray, and let's uh, get after the Word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach. Um, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather, to get into your word. Um, but more than that, thank you for being Lord, Lord of our lives and Lord of the world. God, as, as we're looking at something today which we don't usually look at, Lord, kind of the, the battle between uh, Satan and demons and, and you and us. And Lord, I, I just pray that um, we, we would acknowledge that you are Lord here, that you stand firm in our place, Jesus. I thank you that you um, will not let us be defeated, uh, Lord, but I, I pray that we would be aware of the battle that's raging today. Lord, I thank you for the text. It's, it's a big one. It's a weighty one. Um, but Lord, it's one that we need to know and to um, really learn how the, the devil does try to attack us so that we can stand with you in this. Uh, we love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So 11 weeks ago, I asked you guys the question, who are you? Right, who are you? How do you, how do you define who you are? Uh, someone, first service, uh, as they were walking in, they said, you're Josh, right? And I said, yeah. And they said, how do you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That's good. But, but who, who are you? How, how do you answer that question? Who are you? Five weeks ago, we said that if you know who you are, then you will know how to live. So there's, there's a direct correlation in the book of Ephesians between our identity and how we walk, how we live. If you know who you are, you will know how to live. Today and next Sunday, we're going to try to ask and answer uh, three questions. The, the first question that we're going to answer today is, why is it hard to remember who I am? Why, why is it such a challenge that, that week in and week out that I often forget, man, who, who am I? The second question that we're going to answer today is, why do I fail at times to, to live or to walk in the way that I'm supposed to? Well, why is that such a struggle? It seems like if, if I'm new in Christ, if I have this identity, if I'm told this is how I'm to live, shouldn't I just be able to do that? Why is that so hard? And then we're also going to ask the question, is there an antidote to my fleeting memory and my lack of godly pursuit? there's got to be, right? I mean, there has to be some sort of antidote. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little secret up front. Like today is a, just a massive cliffhanger. All right, so, so if you're here this week, which all of you are, next week you got to come back. All right, so at the end of this sermon, you're going to be wanting to know, what, what, wait, what's, isn't there more? There has to be more. Like I said, we've got 30 minutes. So, so I couldn't be fair to the text and uh, not make this part one and part two. So today's part one. Next week is part two. So you got to be here for that next week. Is that, are we all good on that? Let, let me just see some head nods. Yeah, we're all coming back next week. That's good. All right, mo- most of us. It's good. Um, so to begin off uh, today's sermon, I, I want to kind of refresh some of our memory. Uh, for some of us in here, this would have been distant past history. For some, maybe not so distant in terms of things that we've studied. But, but does anyone remember during school when we studied the bubonic plague? 
Anyone remember a bubonic plague? We, it's sometimes called Black Death or Black Plague. Uh, really, really a, a horrible thing that spread throughout um, the world, starting in the 6th century in the Byzantine Empire, from uh, really the capital of Constantinople. It spread from port city to port city, into Asia, into the Mediterranean, into Italy, and into Greece. And really throughout um, history has killed millions and millions of people. The estimations that I've read, and they vary widely at different points, um, say that up to 60% of the lives in Europe during the 14th century were killed due to Black Plague or Black Death or Bubonic Plague. In 1347, Black Death killed nearly a third of the human population in the known world. Nearly a third. When you got Black Death, some of the symptoms that you saw almost immediately in most cases were things like fevers, chills, dizziness. You'd get gangrene on your fingers and on your toes and on your nose and on your mouth. In very severe cases, your body would turn pinkish in color. Inevitably, most people would get black dots all over their body. And before long, it would take your life. Black Death was, um, it, it spread so fast and with, with such tenacity and such fury that if you got it, I mean, that, there wasn't much to do to combat it. Millions and millions of people died. Medieval doctors, uh, by and large, said that the main cause for this disease was airborne. It was, it was from the air, so it was bad air that was going to kill you. Right, So the, the, what people were told to do is they were told to go inside your house and, and block out all of the bad air. So people would um, seal off doors and windows to try to stay inside to make sure that no bad air gets in. Some places in, in London in 1665, 66, what people would do is they would start fires in their house to make smoke so that good air would come and bad air would leave. Right? Other places, um, people would tie flowers around their necks or, or they'd put flowers right in their face like a wreath around here because they thought that the flower would produce um, kind of a fresh new air in them so that they wouldn't have to breathe the old air. Horrible, horrible death. Um, what people did not know was that the disease was not by any means caused by bad air. In fact, it wasn't caused by anything near better. It was uh, caused by a disease that was uh, transported by fleas that were on rats. So as people were inside, as they were in their houses barricading themselves, outside was rampant open sewage and trash just piled up, which naturally became a cesspool for the breeding of these rats. And, and as people left, they went to different countries trying to flee Black Plague. They brought with them on their ships, in their carts, they brought these rats infested with fleas, spreading the disease further and further and further. What they could not see, what they could not touch, what they could not taste, what they could not kill was killing Millions. A reality that was unseen, a reality that was felt, the effects of it, were affecting the entire population of the world, despite of human awareness. Today, not too much unlike medieval Europe, there is a reality that exists that I think, by and large, goes unnoticed. I think we feel it. I think we feel the effects of it. We, we can experience the byproduct of it. But in terms of its cause, I think a lot of times it goes way over our head and we have no idea what to call it. 
Paul's going to describe what I'm talking about here in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, which is where we're going to be camping out today. So if you've got a Bible, let's go 6, 10, 11, and 12. This is Paul writing to the church. Verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All right, so so let's, let's, let's be real honest with ourselves right here. That's hard for us to get, isn't it? And we read a text like this that says, we don't wrestle flesh and blood, but we're up against the schemes of the devil. I mean, that's, that's a pretty weighty text. I think that we have a hard time experientially um, coming to grasp with the truth of this text. I think, I think there are a couple reasons why. And the first one is, um, if we were to to guess, if I'm just to guess, and I'm guessing right now, I don't know everyone in this room, I know that there's a big spectrum of people, but if we were to guess, I would say that there are many of us in this room that have, uh, I'll just say, never experienced a satanic or demonic attack to where while it was happening in that moment, you knew what it was. Right, so, so, so I'm not saying it had never happened to you, I'm just saying that while it was happening, you weren't able to point to it and say, that is satanic or that's demonic. I think by and large, many of us haven't had any of those experiences. I think that there are a number of us in here who can probably count on one hand the number of experiences that they've had where, where when something was happening, demonic, that they were able to look at that and say, that's satanic. I know that myself, it's happened a couple times in my life, two times very clearly where there is demonic activity, where in that moment I looked at that and I said, I know exactly what that is. I think by and large, most of us in here, most of our experience with something demonic or whatnot probably is secondhand. So that's probably through someone that we know, an acquaintance, a friend. We know someone who, who they firsthand, maybe a couple of times, have experienced or witnessed something demonic or satanic. So I think that when we read a verse like this, I, I think it's hard for our body to say, yep, I get it. Our battle isn't against against flesh and blood. Our battle is against Satan, is against the evil spiritual forces. I, I think that we don't by and large experience that on a regular basis here. The other reason why I think that we have a hard time is because Paul says we don't battle flesh and blood. Now, now raise your hand if you got kids in here. Right? You ever battle flesh and blood? Right? Can I get an amen? Right? Like, doesn't it constantly feel like we're battling flesh and blood? And Paul's out saying, nope, we're not battling flesh and blood. But, but in my experience, it certainly feels like I'm battling flesh and blood more often than not, doesn't it? Right, so, so think back to your last argument. Right now, be very careful in how you answer this. Think back to your last argument. Um, was it against your spouse or was it against Satan? Right, was it against your child or was it against a demon? Was it against an employee or an employer, or was it against the spiritual forces of evil? Now, maybe in the moment you felt like equating those two, but be careful. I don't, I don't know that I'd pull a Jesus on you and just say, uh, get behind me, Satan. Like, it wouldn't work well in my home. So, but, but he, he says here, 
that we don't battle flesh and blood. So, so the fact that by and large, I think a lot of us haven't had many experiences and the fact that it certainly feels like we do battle a lot of flesh and blood. What, what, are, we, what are we talking about here? I mean, how, what is this fight? I mean, he says we fight against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, now that's a scary fight. It's a real fight. It's a, it's a terrifying fight. And, and it's a fight that we need to be aware of. I, I, I fear that so often we're, we're not aware that this is happening. But we need to be aware. We, we need to know how to fight. We, we need to know what we're up against. This week when I said it's a cliffhanger, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at, at how Satan fights. What, what is this fight we're talking about? Because sometimes I think we just get sucker punched in the side of the head because we have no idea what's going on. And we need to know. We need to be aware. We need to be paying attention so that when these schemes happen, we're able to pick up on them and say, I, I know what that is. I know what's going on there. And we have victory over that through Christ. Next week, we're going to look at how we fight. We're told, stand, stand firm. We're given a weapon. We're, we're, we're in a fight that I think a lot of us just don't know that we're in. So I want to I bring to um, our attention this fight that Paul so vividly describes here. Um, I will say this up front, that, that this is not um, the totality of everything you need to know about demonic, dep- uh, demonic um, help me out, demonic, uh, depression, activity, um, whatever it may be. I'm, I'm going to be touching on it a little bit. Um, I will say that there are many sources out there that will help you far beyond just this text today. I'm going to be trying to open our eyes and, and make us aware to what's going on. But I would say if this is something that you are struggling with or something that you've dealt with on more than one occasion, like you, you need to get help beyond just listening to this. I would say that there are multiple good sources out there. There are sources within our own church body of people who experience this on a regular basis and know how to fight well. I'll point you just to a couple of good references. So if you want to learn more about this, just write some of these names down. Uh, Tom White wrote an excellent book called The Believer's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. Uh, Tom White is actually a member of our own church, and he is um, he, he, this is his realm. This is what he does. So he writes a great book on that. Uh, Warren Weiserby writes uh, The Strategy of Satan. I found that to be very helpful in my study of Satan's attack and how he works. And Clinton Arnold, who is a professor of my uh, theological training at Talbot, he writes uh, the three questions on spiritual warfare. So all three of those books I would recommend. Um, I haven't read them all in their totality, but many of them I have looked at, and I would say, hey, if this is something that you're really dealing with, uh, go there, talk to me, find someone, and, and there's more help to be found than just listening to this sermon today. But, uh, but we do want to make ourselves aware of what's going on here. So um, I will say this, that as we're going into this study of, of the devil, of Satan, of demons, that the Bible does have um, stuff to say. It's not silent, but... But really, there's a lot more questions that arise, I think, than there are answers. So as I've been studying this, I just walk away going like, why? I think the why is is my biggest question. Like, I can see the what and maybe the how, but but why? Why, God, would this happen? 
We're going we're gonna to look at um, really some of the origin of some of this, but more than just the origin, the function. What is this fight? What are we up against? We know that God creates everything um, between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-31, right? I'm not arguing for a time period. I'm just saying by Genesis 1-31, all things are created. And part of that all things is all things in heaven and all things on earth. So that's heaven. That's all the angels. By 131, all angels are created. Sometime, we don't know when, sometime between 131 and chapter 3, verse 1 in Genesis, I don't know what that time is, but sometime in between there, we have a departure and a falling away of what Revelation 12 generally speaks to as a third of the angels. If you know anything about uh, numbers here, we're talking about millions of angels falling away to the category which we now call demons. Right? So we see that from Revelation 12. You can check that out. About a third between Genesis 1.31 and 3.1 fell away to where they are now demons. There are two other places in the New Testament that speak very directly and very clearly about this falling away. We have 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 6, both talking about a mass exodus of angels following Satan, leaving heaven, being condemned either to this earth or to this realm here. We don't know acute details of Satan himself. Um, we do know that he was an angel. We do know that he did rebel, that he probably led this rebellion. Um, I, will, I will direct you on your own to check out Revelation 12, uh, Ezekiel 28, and Isaiah 14. Those are kind of the three classic texts that people look to. I'll be honest, there's a lot of analogy in there. There's a lot of alliteration that you can kind of work through and say, okay, what, what were some of these things? I'll let you uh, figure that on your own in terms of origin of some of this. But as a whole, those are the three big texts there. But what we do know concerning Satan, again, is his activity. We know that he's named very frequently in the Bible. We know that in the Old Testament, by name, Satan is mentioned in Job chapter 1. He's mentioned in uh, Zechariah 3 and 1 Chronicles 31. We know that by name, he is mentioned by Jesus twice. Uh, I believe it's Matthew 4 and Luke 10. In Matthew 4, when Jesus is out in the desert and he's being tempted, he says, Satan, leave me. When he's talking with his disciples in Luke 10, he says, And I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So we know that he is a being, he's an actual being who's, who's mentioned very often in the Bible. We know that he was the first to rebel against God. We know that Eve was not the first, we know that pre-Eve that Satan rebelled against God. John 8, 44 calls him a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. 1 John 3, 8 says that the devil has sinned from the beginning. So throughout all of Scripture, including our verse today, there is a consistency, there is a congruency with uh, language that talks about the devil and his main scheme. And I would say that the main scheme that we see um, systematically is this scheme of deception. Satan works through lies, through deceit, through deception. If he can, if he can get your mind, if he can cause a, a pathway to wear down in your mind, then he can, he can hop on board and travel any way that he wants. He tries to work through lies, through deception. He works through our mind, which is, which is very interesting in terms of the book of Ephesians and how we started with identity, starting with our mind and how we think, how we think about ourselves, how we think about God. 
The, the word scheme here in verse 11, it's a, it's a very particular word. It's only found one other place in all of the New Testament. It's found actually two chapters earlier, where in 4.11, when Randall was preaching, he hit this section. In 4.11, he says that we are to no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human craftiness, by uh, human cunning and deceitful schemes. So he's talking about our mind. So this word scheme, he's saying Satan uses schemes. He's trying to get into our thinking. He wants our thinking to be incorrect. He starts with our thinking. Like I said, it's, it's so important that he starts with our thinking, too, in terms of what we've been studying. I mean, we, we started in Ephesians 1, and week 1 we said we're saints. This is who we are. You're chosen, you're holy, you're adopted, you're redeemed. And then he goes on in just this, just this landslide of theological truth about who God is, what God has done. Remember we had that just incredibly long run-on sentence in chapter 1 where it's like God did this, 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 and this. And we look at that word scheme, and that word scheme directly attacks our belief in a God who is all those things from chapter 1 through 3. Beyond chapter 1 through 3, we've been in this whole idea of this is how we are to live. This is how we are to walk. We're supposed to live in this certain way. And we've got just this, this huge list of, of how we're supposed to then live because of who we are. So we get don't or put away falsehood. Don't be angry. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. No corrupting talk. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. Put away bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, malice, be kind, tenderhearted, be like God. Put away sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, no foolish talk. And you get it. I can go on and on and on and on. And that's chapters four through six. But if if Satan can get in your mind to have your thinking wrong about who you are, about who God is in one through three in our identity, then he's captured four through six. Then he's captured our behavior because because identity births behavior. So if he can get your identity, he can capture your behavior. So he always starts with identity. My warning is we need to be careful. We need to be very careful. We need to know that we are up against someone who wants to, with your mind, convince you that you are not in Christ, that you don't need Christ, and that what God says about himself in his word is not true. All right now, now let me just take a time out. If you think that I'm just insane right now and crazy, like half the time I agree with you. Like, this sounds crazy. I, I get that. Like, I'm, I'm not a fool up here. I, this, this sounds crazy, doesn't it? Like, there are spiritual forces and demons and a devil, uh, not, you know, pitchfork, horns, but like an actual devil who wants to, through deception, make you believe something that is not true about yourself and is not true about God. Like, like we can all agree, like, that sounds a little crazy. But you don't pay me so that I don't sound crazy, right? You, you pay me so that we can go through Scripture verse by verse and see the totality of what's really going on. So I'm going to be faithful to that because it is true. So why is it hard to remember who I am? Why do I often fail to live the way I'm supposed to? Um, looking at this question, I think that it's hard to remember who I am because, oh yeah, like we just said, Satan and millions of demons are trying to get us to forget. They want you to forget who you are. 
We're going to look at how he does this. We're going to do a, a really quick case study through Genesis 3. This is going to be brief. We're going to look at three different fronts in which Satan attacks us. So if you want, you can go Genesis 3. That's the first book of your Bible. Um, I'm going to be reading it here so you don't have to if you don't want it. This is Genesis 3. We're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to look at what are these schemes of the devil? What is his ploy here? What's his plan? How does his deception work? In verse 1 of chapter 3 in Genesis, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. All right, first thing we see is that, man, Satan is smooth. He's crafty. He's not like, yo, Eve, I hate you. I want you to die. I hate God. I want his position. No, he, he looks good. Sin looks good. 2 Corinthians 4 calls him the angel of light at one point. Like there is, there is a marvel about what is offered that is incredibly attractive. Wow, I, I want that. That looks good. He's crafty. More crafty than any other beast of the field. We continue and he says to the woman, Did God actually say... You should not eat of any tree in the garden, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The second attack is, is yes, he is smooth, but beyond just being smooth, he, he, he gets us to doubt God. He gets us to question God. He gets us to question God's word, God's character, who he is. He, he says here at the end of one, did God actually say? He's questioning God. We, we know what God said, but Satan comes in and, and he puts doubt in your mind. Like, is that, is that really who God is? Is that really what he wants to say? Isn't that kind of old-fashioned? Isn't that out of date? Isn't that something that happened just a long time ago? Didn't that get changed through translation? Is that really what God says? He works by questioning our belief. Continuing on in verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Third, he, he straight up lies. He straight up lies and makes a false promise. He says, You're not going to die. And not only are you not going to die, but you're going to be like God. You're going to be like him. He, he works the same way today. The exact same way. He, he looks good. Sin is attractive. There, there is, there's a doubting that happens through God's word. He, I, I doubt that's what God was saying. I doubt that's what God was intending. I doubt what that, if that's really what that means. And then there's a false hope. There's a false promise. We're going to look at... Three different case studies, not case studies, we're looking at three different people to give us examples as we close here. Three ways that I think um, in our body, in our church, that Satan really attacks our identity. Because remember, we're starting with identity. I think he wants to lie to us through our identity and who we think we are, because then he can control behavior. We're going to look at a fourth way next week, which I think is um, just as powerful, if not more powerful, in which Satan tries to rob us of our identity. So just looking at three simple people here, then we're going to wrap it up. Um, the first one is this, um, is uh, look at what I've done, Donna. 
Right, so he, he starts with this, this woman, Donna. Donna, I think that there's a lot of Donnas here. I think there's a lot of Donnas in um, our city. But, but Donna's got a great family. She's got a great job. She's got a great paycheck. Life's going pretty well for Donna. Self-reliant, self-made, self-esteem, self-accomplished. She doesn't need much. If she wants it, she gets it. She gets whatever she wants. Life's been good. Many accomplishments. Satan's lie to Donna has come um, through, the, through many different fronts. He's been smooth. There is a false hope and there are outright lies. Lies to Donna include things like, look at who you are. Look what you've done. You don't need God. Why would you need an identity in Christ? You have your own identity. What would you need with something else? If, if you have need, go get it. Open up your wallet. You can find it. There is this false hope that, that Satan lies to us that says, hey, if you aren't satisfied with what you have, go buy something else. It'll make you happy. If you, if you don't like your wife, go find a new one. Trade them in. Go find a fake one online. If you don't like your church, go find something else. There's just this constant, you can solve all of your problems. You can do whatever you want. You've done it in the past. You're self-made. Look at you. You don't need him. I think our city is full of Donnas. Sorry if your name's Don in here, but I, th- I think that there are many, many Donnas. Satan has deceived us into thinking that we have everything that we need. And there is a false promise to us that anything that I need, I can get. It's an exhausting pursuit that Satan wins if we think, I've got everything I need. The second person is, is similar to Donna, but it's almost on the opposite side of that spectrum. It's, look what I haven't done, Donnie. Look what I haven't done, Donnie, is, is, is very much like her, but instead of success in the past, there's, there's just a lot of failure. So it's, man, I, I didn't do family right. I didn't do education right. I didn't do relationships right. I didn't do anything right. And Satan wants to keep reminding Donnie, man, you are a failure. What would God want with you? You're worthless, you're useless, you're pointless. God doesn't want you, he doesn't need you, he couldn't even use you. Satan's lie to Donnie is that he can never get beyond his failures. Everything's labeled by his mistakes Everything's labeled by his shortcomings. You're dumb, ugly, failed, messed up. No one wants you, especially God. What's he going to do with a worthless piece of trash like you? I think there are people in here who believe that sometimes about themselves. And when that happens, Satan wins. It's a lie. And Satan wants you to believe it. The third person is, look what's happening, Henry. Henry's currently going through a very hard situation. Right? He... He looks around and Satan's lie to him is, man, if God were real, he wouldn't let this happen. How can you trust him? He says he's all loving. Look at what's going on. How can you believe that? Again, it's, it's subtle, but it's aggressive. Behind his lie is the fact that God cannot exist because look at all the evil. Look around. How could God exist? It's an aggressive lie that keeps our identity away from in Christ and onto ourselves and our situations. With all three of these people, Satan's attack is on the mind. 
With Donna, it's you don't need God. With Donnie, it's God doesn't want you. And with Henry, it's God doesn't exist. He can't be real. He doesn't love me. His word isn't true. So why is it hard to remember who I am? It's hard to remember who we are because we are in a fight where someone's constantly trying to tell us, no, that's, that's not who you are. That's not what God's word says. Here, here's another lie. Here's another false promise. Here's another diversion away from the truth. Why is it so hard to live the way that I'm supposed to? Because if we don't know who we are, we can't live right. And we're constantly in a battle. So my question is, how do I fight? You've got to come back next week. How do we fight? I, I will say this and I will say it now just so that if you do miss next week, like we can win this battle. We are not left alone. We are given the weapons needed to stand. We are given the weapons needed to fight. But we need to know that there's a war going on. Far too often I think we're getting sucker punched and have no idea what's going on. So this week, I got a challenge for you. I got a question. This is an individual challenge for each one of us because I I gave just very general ways in which Satan attacks us. This week, I want you to go home. I do. After the service, I do want you to go home. I don't want you to stay here. Um, I want you to go home, and as you are studying God's Word this week, I want you to ask yourself the question, what would Satan's most effective strategy be on me? What lie would Satan tell me that would be most believable to me? Because it's different for every one of us. Right? We've, maybe you've got some Donnas, maybe you've got some Henrys, maybe you've got some Donnas, but we've got a lot of different people with a lot of different needs, and Satan attacks us all very differently. So you've got to ask yourself the question, in what way would Satan's attack on me be most effective? Because let me tell you this, he's been at it a long time, a whole lot longer than you and I have been around, and he'll do what he can to get to you. So be aware, what's it going to be that he's going to try to attack me? Can we, can we be honest? Can we say we'll go home and, and, and think through that? I've been thinking about that a lot myself. I'm thinking about what, what would it be? What, what would that be? All right, so we're going to close this up. We're going to sing one more song. We're, we're not doing communion today because of time. Um, but after service, the offering boxes are still there if you want to give. We're going to close it up with a song, and I want you guys to think about that this week. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, you've made us aware through your word of a reality that really, I think, goes unfelt by many of us. Lord, but, but we do know that there are some in here who feel this reality often. God, I, I pray that we would gather around those individuals. I pray that we would be aware, that we would fight together. God, it's hard for me to preach just part one here because I want to get to the antidote in part two. I want to get to your word. I want to get to that sword. I want to get to um, just the whole shield, the whole armor, the helmet, the feet, the belt, the breastplate, the whole thing. I want to get there, Lord. We know that you stand with us. You do not let us fight alone. God, but we're in a fight. But I pray that we would cling to you because you are our fighter. You'll fight for us. you give your life for us. No one's going to take us from your hand. I love you, Gord. You're good, Heavenly Father. Your name, amen.